Good afternoon. Well, it's more of a bit of a pre-noon. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me today is Fire Marshal Dan Jager. How are you doing today? Doing well, Jordan. Thank you. That's good to hear, especially, I mean, Friday was a bit... To say Friday was an event would be mild, I'd think. Yeah, it would. Um, you know, anytime we get a fire, it's always a big deal. Um, but when there's someone that loses their life because of that, it's an even bigger deal. And um, yeah, Friday was definitely a busy day. And, and, you know, we still had other calls coming in during all of that as well. So uh, it, it never seems to stop around here. Isn't that always the case, though? It is. It never, it never stops. On that front, I wanted, one of the topics I want to talk to you about was uh, fire safety in relation to electrical fires. I understand that that is, from what I remember reading through it, that is believed to be related to this fire that happened on Friday. And so I feel like that could be a good way to sort of segue using what happened into a topic. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, in particular with that fire on Friday, it it did involve an electrical appliance, a toaster. Um, But it's unknown whether there was a malfunction or if it was compromised somehow. Um, But from witness statements, the fire was centered around that and in that general area in the kitchen. And so, yeah, a lot of people ask questions about electrical safety. Um, The biggest thing that we we always talk about in the past is overloading uh, electrical circuits. So if you have... Uh, a wall outlet that has two places to plug something in. People get those multi-plug ones where you can plug now six or more things into it. And, uh, you know, there's always a caution that needs to be uh, shared with that is just because you can plug six things into an outlet doesn't mean you should. And you need to be aware of what you're plugging in. Uh, Things like space heaters, they draw a lot of electrical energy. So you're putting a higher demand on your wiring system in your home or your business. And, you you rely on your breaker panels to trip if they get overloaded, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And so what you'll have is the appliances that are plugged into that are drawing so much energy that it's forcing, it's like water flow is how we look at electricity. So the more you're, more water or electricity you're trying to flow through the pipe, or in this case a wire, it causes resistance from friction. And what ends up happening is, is that it breaks down over time and now you're heating up the uh, the plastic covering around it, and that's where you start having the electrical issues from uh, appliances that are too much of a draw. Um, or you might have old wiring in your home, old aluminum-style wiring, which is common around Juno. And as long as it's being used appropriately, it's still safe to have. But when you start putting higher demands on your system than what it's designed for, that's where we start seeing problems with electricity and fires. Gotcha. Okay. And then... I'm trying to think of a good way to, to, to play off of that. Um, and so, I mean, you describe it as that sort of that, as being that flow of water is how we describe it. And so what are some of the, the safety things we can do to sort of keep that limited or make sure it doesn't over, I guess, yeah, overcharge is maybe the word I'm looking for here. Sure. So, you know, again, if you have a wall outlet with two places to plug something in, just try to keep it limited to the two things that you can plug in there. Uh, certainly anything with like high electrical draw, like portable space heaters at this time, um, other types of appliances, you might want to just ask an electrician, you know, what's the best way of dealing with that. In case you have to upgrade your wiring, um, always use a surge protector. And the nice thing about those is it's kind of an additional safety feature. So if you plug something in your surge protector and it, uh, it's drawing more than it's allowed for the home use, then it should trip off at that uh, appliance plug-in spot, right? 
in case the, the main breaker panel in your home doesn't uh, trip. It's just an added safety feature. So, um, yeah, the biggest thing is just being aware of what you're plugging in and what kind of demand you're putting on uh, your circuit. And sometimes just calling an electrician to take a look at things for you is really the best way to do it. No, definitely. And then I know the other big thing with electrical fires is obviously you don't throw water onto an electrical fire. You want to use the fire extinguisher. Right. Yeah. So the the type that you'll see and most commonly around uh, anywhere in in town is uh, what's called an ABC fire extinguisher. So it's rated for uh, class A, B, and C. A being your your common wood uh, paper products. B is your uh, greases, oils, fuels, and C is for electrical. And what it is is it's a uh, it's powder that doesn't conduct electricity. Unlike water, you know, if you put water on electrical uh, appliance, it's going to shock you or have that potential, right? With ABC extinguishers, they don't have that opportunity because it doesn't conduct electricity that way. So that's why it's a safer option. Okay. But ultimately, if you have an electrical appliance on fire, if you're able to um, stop the power to it through the breaker or just unplugging it, then it becomes just a regular Class B fire, typically, because of the plastics that are usually involved. So much easier to manage at that point. Gotcha. Okay. And so then what are some other sort of general safety tips you would give in relation to an electrical fire then? Uh, Well, you know, I think the other thing is that if you're using things like space heaters, keeping combustible materials away from it, by fire code, it says to have at least three foot circumference around those appliances being clear of anything combustible. That could be curtains, clothing, papers, uh, books, anything like that. Um, the other thing is that if you're going to use appliances like that, only use them for a limited amount of time. Don't leave them plugged in for hours and hours um, because it's just not a good idea because you're, again, you're, you're putting that higher draw on your system, but you're also increasing the chance that that device might fail because of the exposure time. And if you have um, pets or kids or anything in the home that might push toys or other things up towards it, then, you know, it's another opportunity for a fire to occur. So um, just be careful with whatever you plug in. Gotcha, definitely. Now, another topic I want to talk to you about was burn permits. I understand that those are coming up. Right. So for Juno, uh, open burn season borough-wide starts on May 1st, and it goes through September 30th. And then what we ask people to do is if they're going to do any kind of open burning outdoors is they have an open burn permit. They're free. Um, you can get them online. You can give, get them in person. Uh, but last time I was on the show, we talked about a, a burn permit app that we're looking at implementing this year. And it's through the Western Fire Chiefs Association. And what you do is you go to this app, you put in your address, um, it, it shows up on a Google map. And, and the reason for the Google map is, is that it, it verifies your address being within the open burn zone, right? So we know that right now, if you're between Vanderbilt and Fritz Cove, there's no open burning allowed. Uh, so if you try to do it on this app now, it would show, oh, hey, your address says you can't, you can't do any open burning and it won't let you get a permit until May 1st. Um, so this will help us with streamlining the process. It'll be easier for people to just do an app on their phone. And, you know, if they want other, there'll be some other information on that app, such as weather conditions and outlooks. If there's any potential chance that 
um, it, it, later on that week that you're doing open burning that there might be a burn ban or some sort of a fire watch warning because of uh, weather conditions, it'll give you that heads up. So that way it helps you determine whether uh, conducting your open burn is really a good idea or not. Um, so we hope to have that operational here soon. We're going to do some trial runs in the next month or two and get that uh, process going open up by May 1st for everyone. Okay. And how long have we been allowing open burning for? Just to someone who's still relatively new to being in the Juno area again? Open burn. How long have we allowed it? Yes. Oh, it's been going on for several years. I've been here almost 18 years, and it was before that. So okay. uh, it's been kind of a long-term thing. Um, you know, and we just, as always, whenever you're dealing with any kind of a fire or open flame, people would just ask them to uh, exercise the best judgment and use caution with it. Gotcha. That's that was sort of what I was thinking, but it's nice to have that clarification. I'm like, okay, we've been doing it for a while. It's not like it's a new thing that's been going on, and so having having that additional knowledge is always good to have. Another question I had was sort of asking about volunteers. Are you still looking for volunteers? You know, we're always looking for volunteers. There's never a, a deadline that um, we close application processes for that. So. Uh, we, we always want more volunteers for EMS, uh, so for like EMTs, uh, firefighters, of course. There's always other opportunities if you don't want to do the fire EMS responses. There's other things that you can do with public education, with um, uh, clerical or office type stuff. There's always additional help that we need for that. Uh, really, whatever you can bring to the table we'll bring in and say, okay, we can plug you in and, and put you to work. So uh, if anyone ever has an interest, they can always feel free to stop by our main station downtown on Glacier Avenue and ask for an application, get a tour, talk with some of the folks that are there and get a better idea if that's maybe a fit that they want to try. Um, and if not, there's other organizations as well, like Red Cross. Um, they're always asking for help, and we partner with them a lot. So, um, yeah, if anyone ever wants to volunteer, please Come on by and, and check it out and see what you think. No, oh, definitely. It sounds interesting. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue our conversation. You're listening to Action Line on KNY. Welcome back to Action Line. I'm still your host, Jordan Lewis. At least I, I think I am. I don't think I've changed position at all during the break. Joining me still is Fire Marshal Dan Jaeger from the Capital City Fire and Rescue. Now, we were talking about volunteers. What are some of the more of the specific things the volunteers can do? Well, like I said, there's uh, there's always EMS, so being EMTs, uh, we'll provide training for that. There's firefighting, we'll provide the training for that as well. We have special teams, which do water rescue, ice rescue, um, things like that. We, we can provide the training on that. Um, any kind of other support that they can uh, fit into, such as public education, uh, we'll definitely use people for that. Um, if they just want to volunteer their time doing something else that maybe we don't have under the umbrella that we do, bring it forward. We'll see if we can utilize somehow and, and find a way to plug in. Gotcha. Talk to me more about the, the sort of the EMS, the EMT aspect. So what's going on there? Well, we've got different levels of EMS that we provide. There's ETT, which is like a, an advanced first aid uh, type class. There's EMT one, two, three, and then there's paramedic. And so the, the higher up the, the different levels you have for your certification in EMT, the more things you can do as far as patient care. Uh, EMT1s, again, is more of an advanced uh, first aid with some other, uh, a lot of different things that go into that. Uh, I can't really 
think of it offhand. But uh, as you get into your EMT2, that's where you can start doing IVs, and, and certain types of medications can be used to help people. Your threes, uh, they can do more cardiac-related uh, incidents and have additional training for that. And, of course, your paramedics is like the ultimate we have uh, as far as high level hierarchy of our EMS goes. And they can do a number of uh, different tasks and medications for helping a, a wide array of different uh, situations for patients that we might run into. Um, so, yeah, and then beyond that, you're looking at physician assistants and doctors and, you know, things in the medical field. So uh, there could definitely be some stepping stones there if there's anyone that has an interest in that. And uh, as you get these skills, you could actually be able to uh, potentially apply them out in the field as well. So, Gotcha. Okay. It's always interesting to sort of hear about the EMS, EMT process. Now, would that also help with potential employment with CCFR, or is that a different sort of path? You know, it would. Uh, we're always looking for uh, firefighter EMTs and firefighter paramedics. For the last several years, we've had a uh, – there's always at least one vacancy, it seems, that we have. And so the problem we have is trying to recruit and retain. And when we have openings, uh, sometimes we've had no applicants and that could be really discouraging, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. But, um, you know, if you have some fire and EMS background, that certainly can be a help. Um, but, again, if you don't, then we can always see how we can get you some experience and then maybe pick you up from being a volunteer to uh, full-time staff. Uh, that's always an opportunity there for that. Okay. And now, this, as I've done with most of my programs so far, Obviously, this is also your opportunity to, to let people know about things. So is there anything in particular that you want to talk about? You know, I, I can't really think of anything offhand. Um, I know that whenever we have fires, people have lots of questions as far as what happened and why and things like that. And I guess I just want to remind people that with this recent one we had on Friday, um, to keep the family members in mind. Um, they're going through a very traumatic and emotional experience right now, and I, I can't even imagine. Um and along with that, our responders that went to that call and, and were part of that, um, they went through a, a bit of uh, trouble with that as well. You know, it's not every day that we see these kind of events, fortunately. Uh, but when they do happen, it does take a toll because we're seeing people in a way that isn't normal. And I just want to stress that the the men and women that we have as part of our department, uh, whether they're volunteer, career, whatever, they they do their absolute best, and I'm very proud of them and, and very proud to be associated with that kind of an organization. Um, we do the best we can, and we just ask that the public continues to support us however they are, and sometimes just saying simple thanks really goes a long way, and we, we definitely appreciate that. No, definitely, and sort of to extend off of that, oftentimes as, as a newsroom, we might get asked a lot of the same questions about what do we know, and obviously we only know as much as that you're able to tell us, but there's also that fact of, Sometimes people think that we may know details ahead of time, and the a large thing to understand is even if we did, we also have to understand that same, you know, think about how the family is doing, consider those sorts of factors. And so that's why oftentimes, maybe even if we did know something earlier, unless the family knows about those things or if the family's been given that additional knowledge, we aren't going to, we won't talk about that until they are aware before, so that the public doesn't know things that maybe they shouldn't yet, or just sort of, just that, that pacing of it, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that uh, we have a really good working relationship with all the different media sources here locally, um, you know, and we, we try to keep you guys up to date as soon as we can. And, 
you know, if people have questions, they can always check our Facebook page. We're pretty active on that and trying to get information out. Um, but yeah, we definitely partner with the media and, and get whatever information on whatever topics out there. And, and I think overall, everyone does a really good job reporting that accurately. And we definitely appreciate that too. Definitely. And then and it's, it's good to have that, that transparency so that people know a little bit about that process, even just saying, Hey, here's sort of the steps that that goes through before the media outlets, in this case, us talk about those things. Cause it, it is a multi-step process before we have that information. Right. You know, it's definitely, it's definitely good to go over that. I feel like it's something that should be gone over being like, Hey, here is the process before where the media is able to tell you about certain things as they're going on, especially in this type of circumstance where there is that fatality. And so you have to keep that in mind. And the fact that it was, you know, it was only a few days ago. And so it, it's going to be very fresh for a lot of people. Right. Absolutely. And so to sort of continue on what we've been talking about, I guess, uh, what are some other, I guess in this, in this circumstance, more general, sort of fire safety things going forward. You know, the other thing is that we always stress having working smoke alarms. Um, the whole purpose of smoke alarms is they get you early warning. So whether you're asleep or if you're in a different part of your house or something, when you hear the alarm, it tells you something is going on. Something is burning or there's some sort of a smoke or steam or something. Um, so getting that early warning to get out of the house safely is the key for that. Um, having portable fire extinguishers is always a good thing. Uh, even your small little kitchen fires on a frying pan, if you don't put a lid on it to stop it, you can use an extinguisher. Um, having two ways out of a house is always uh, something that we stress. Um, so that way, if your primary way out of the house is compromised, you've got another alternate way to get out. And the other thing we try to stress to people is never underestimate the speed at which fire can spread. A uh, very small fire doubles in size every 15 to 30 seconds, depending on what's burning. So uh, even a small trash can fire becomes a big thing within a couple of minutes. And, you know, don't, uh, if you ever feel that you're unable to put out a fire, don't. We don't want you to compromise your safety trying to do something that you may or may not have the confidence or ability to handle. Um, once you see it, have yourself or someone call 911 and get the fire department going that direction faster than, um, you know, causing any kind of a delay for that response. No, definitely. And it's always useful to have that information going forward. I guess we have a little bit of time left here, about a little under two minutes. Do you have any closing comments? Um, you know, I, not really. I think uh, one thing that we do appreciate is that whenever the community has questions, concerns, um, whether it be fire-related or EMS-related, that they always have the ability to come forward and, and give us a call, stop by the station. Uh, we're more than happy to uh, answer any kind of questions that people might have. If it's uh, relating to how we respond on things, you know, we get a lot of questions about that. Um, Another common one is why does a fire engine always go with an ambulance? If it's a medical call, there's a couple of reasons why. Um, either it's because of the complexity of the call they're going on that requires more people to be there just in case. Um, the EMTs and the paramedics carry a tremendous amount of gear and equipment, uh, which is it, it's not only bulky and multiple items, but there's also weight with that. And so they need the extra hands and help for that. Um, there's a lot of times where it's a safety concern where having additional people 
uh, to be the eyes and ears for those who are actively working on uh, a patient's needs. Um, they don't have the ability to look around and see if there's anyone that might potentially be uh, causing problems for them or be a danger. So, um, there, you know, it's a lot of different things that cause that. Um, but we get that question a lot. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything more on that, but that's that's really a common common one we get. Uh, you know, response-wise, last year we ran uh, over 5,000 calls, which is a lot, and that's only going to start increasing probably over the years just because of cruise ships coming back and now we're getting out of the COVID uh, situation. Um, so there's, there's always that. Uh, we're a busy department, but we're not too busy to... Uh, handle whatever concerns or questions the community has and you know again we we always have an open door for that and whatever we can do to help out we most certainly want to do that and uh, we just appreciate again the support that we get from the community it's it it is noticed and um, can't thank people enough on that gotcha well dan like thank you for coming in i appreciate having that time to talk to you especially with you know how everything went over the last couple days so it's good to have that sort of public space to have that moment to talk about it, you know. Absolutely. Sure appreciate coming on the show. All righty. This has been Action Line on KINY.